0: Mm-hmm. an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's s p e a k p i p e dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that web page, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail, and we'd love to hear from you. Could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Thank you, God, for your revelation. Thank you, God, that you're God who speaks, who teaches, who reveals. We ask you that we would be open to all of those things. Open to your voice, open to what you want to teach us, open to your revelation tonight. Ask God that uh, we receive of you. And we don't take it for granted that you reveal. Uh, We want your need, desire, seek your revelation, God, your understanding. So Father, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, God, that you would challenge us. I ask God that we would be led to some change tonight, some growth, some encouragement. Some light. There you go. A lot more. Yeah. Give you thanks. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen.
0: Amen. Alright. If uh, you need a Bible, find the Bible located on the table. Feel free to use that. We're gonna open it up to Second Samuel chapter sixteen verses 3 and 4. Second Samuel chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. So I need a volunteer to read from 2 Samuel 16, 3 and 4. Anybody want to do that? he asked, where is your master's grandson? Jesus said to him, he is seeing
1: Jerusalem because he thinks, Today the Israelites will restore to me my grandfather's kingdom.
0: Then the king said to Ziba, all that belongs to the is now yours. I humbly do that vow, Ziba said. May I find favor in your eyes, dear Lord King. Alright, thanks for reading that. There's a part of scripture that every time I read through the Bible, well not every time, but a lot of times as i read through the Bible, it catches me. It gets me. Uh, because what's happening here is You have a conversation going on between Ziba and David. And this is a time where there's all kinds of problems going on in the kingdom. Uh, David's son is uh, leading a rebellion. He's uh, proclaiming himself king. David is running for his life with his family. Um, There's division in the kingdom as far as who's gonna follow who. You have some of the leaders and some of the advisors and some of the people that David Trump are following after his son. And you got other people that are going with David to uh, wherever he was going at the time that he was leaving town. And so this guy Ziba shows up and he gives David, um, I don't know how to to describe it, but he's complimentary toward David and he's friendly toward David and he is reaching out to David at a time where David is really upset and at a time of confusion at the time that things are changing, at the time where nobody knows what's going on and so David listens to Ziba and then responds to him and um, Mephibosheth is someone that we met earlier in the account. uh, He was the grandson of Saul. He was the son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul. And so Mephibosheth was somebody that David had been kind to. Um, And kind of this idea is, is that David and Jonathan were close. And Mephibosheth, even though he was of the family line of Saul, he was someone that David wanted to bless. He was somebody that David wanted to keep alive. Uh, In those days, and you read this as you read through Kings and Chronicles, a lot of times when there's a certain line for the kingdom, and that line changes from one family to another, Then whoever becomes the king will kill off everybody in the line that was the previous king, and the reason is is that anybody in that line would have a valid claim to be king because he was of the line, the royal line of that family. So Jonathan would have been next in line after Saul, but then there was Mephibosheth. It was next to a lot. But instead of David killing off Phibosheth, which some people believe he should have, because he was of that line, he let him live. only did he let him live, he blessed him. And now only he blessed him, he gave him a place at his table, and he could come and eat at his table any time he wanted to. So it was more than just allowing him to live. It was, I'm going to bless you abundantly. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to show grace to you not only just grace, I'm going to show true blessing and provision over your life. And so, this guy Ziba was Mephibosheth's servant. And so Ziba showed up and he began to talk to David and you see the question that's asked there and then David said, well, where's your master? Speaking of Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, well, he's in Jerusalem basically saying he's waiting to become king. Because what was happening was that there was a family war going on between David and his son. There was a civil war going on in the kingdom. And so it was plausible, and just bear with me here if you can understand what's going on. It, it was plausible that both sides, David's side and son's side, could cancel each other out in a battle or in some kind of a war. And the people may get sick of that kind of thing and go back to the prior royal reign that had come before David, that was Saul and his family. Well, the surviving member of that family was Mephibosheth. And so Ziba is saying, well, Mephibosheth is waiting in Jerusalem, and he's just kind of waiting around to see what happens between you and your son, and if you guys cancel each other out, well, he's ready to take the throne. Which is sort of plausible that that could happen. And so we have where we now. And so I want you to just kind of keep that in mind. A couple more things in the background here. Mephibosheth was lame in his feet. And the reason he was lame in his feet is that he had been injured as a child. As a small child he been dropped and something happened to his feet and so he was he couldn't walk right or walk. And so he was laying on both feet. So that that's a factor in what's going on here. Also a factor in the whole story of the physical. So you got that going on. So let's look at a few background verses on this, just in case you thought I made that whole thing up. Um, <laughs> 2 Samuel 9-6 So i to go back to that to read a little bit here. 2 Samuel 9-6 When the of
1: Beth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul
0: came to David, he bowed down paying his honor. David said, At your service, he replied. Right. And you can read on there if you want to about him. Mishibosheth so came to David and David uh, took the throne finally and just gave himself to David and he said here I am the grandson of Saul threw himself at his mercy and David showed mercy to him go down to verse 13 in Second Samuel 9 and that describes his condition
1: Mishibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet.
0: All right. So, again, that's where he was. He lived in Jerusalem. He ate at the king's table. Amazing, amazing, amazing grace and mercy had been shown to him. Blessing had been shown to him. And he was lame in both feet. All right? So, I told you that story ahead of time, but there are some verses that talk a little bit about that and what was going on. So, from David's perspective and the way the story is told here, um, Mephibosheth, it seems, was repaying him with betrayal. As you look at, at what happened and you look at Mephibosheth and you look at what Zeph is telling David and what Zeph basically telling David is that Mephibosheth is waiting around to take his throne. That, that regardless of the fact that David had shown him mercy, David had shown him grace, David had blessed him, David had done all these things in his life to elevate him and, and have a seat for him at the king's table, from what Zebul was saying, the Philistines was repaying all of that grace, all of that mercy, all of that blessing by betraying him. But what Ziva was saying was really fiction. Yeah, that didn't really happen. And it always gets me when I read this because I think to myself, what a jerk! And then I remember, yeah, but it's not true. So who's the jerk here? Zeba. Zeba's the jerk! But he makes it sound like Mephibosheth is. And I'm always reminded when I read this passage of scripture of a couple of things. And one of the things that I'm always reminded of is that we can't be too harsh or too rash when it comes to understanding what's going on around us. And and there's a couple of things that happen. It's like when when we show grace and mercy to people, when we bless people, why do we do it? Because we've received it at some point in our lives. And so we choose to bless others because of that. We make a conscious choice. In other words, we become a people of blessing. We become a people of grace. We become a people of mercy. And our mercy, our grace, and our blessing toward others is not dependent on their response to us. It's not a payback for anything. It's not because they are nice to us first. It's not because they can give us something we want. It's not because they have some kind of influence or power or anything else. It's what God has done in our life. It's the mercy and grace that He's shown us. It's forgiveness He's shown us. It's the love He shows us. And we, therefore, show that mercy, grace, and blessing and love to people around us. Now, people around us may or may not return that. They may or may not. People around us may not reciprocate, or they may. People around us may be nice to us, or they may not be nice to us. People around us may, may want to bless us, or maybe they want to curse us. Right? But the reason that we're blessing, the reason that we're showing mercy, the reason that we're showing grace, is that we're going to receive it from our Father. We're going to receive it from God. And so we choose to live that way. And so it's really nice if somebody reciprocates it toward us, that's awesome. But more times than not, they don't. And I'd love to tell you, oh, they always do, but they don't. That's, that's fiction. It's not been my experience that people that I show mercy and grace to show me mercy and grace all the time. It's just not been my experience with that. And to have that expectation will lead you to bitterness. It could. It could lead you to a hardest heart. It could lead you to a cold heart, a stone heart. It could lead you to a place where you no longer want to show mercy and grace and love to people. But the real issue here is, is not the response we get. The real issue here isn't what the other person does. The real issue here is what's in our heart, what's in my heart, what's in your heart, in response to what our Father's already done in our lives. What our Father does in our life all the time. What our Father
2: continually
0: and continues to do in our life. See, that's just the real issue. The real issue is you, me. The real issue is our relationship and our response to God. Because if we make who we are dependent on the people around us, we're going to be pretty sad. We're going to be disillusioned. And we're going to be disappointed. And like I said, it's going to lead to bitterness in our life Because if our expectation is, is that whatever we do to somebody else, that they're going to do to us, that ain't going to happen. But think about God. I mean, do people always reciprocate things He does in His life? Absolutely not. You don't. You don't even do that. I don't even do that. None of us do that. Because he, He's showing us love and grace and mercy and patience and a lot of suffering all the time. Can we say the same that we show to him? No. No. And the fact of the matter is, is that that's just how it goes. That's just how it goes. You know, people mix up the golden rule and they turn it around. You know the golden rule? Do unto others? What, as you'd have them do unto you, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. The problem is that people look at the golden rule, it's like, do unto others that you think they want you to do unto them. No, that's
2: wrong.
0: <laughs> others should do unto you as you've done unto them. No, nope, that's wrong. All that's wrong. That is not the way the golden rule goes. Not. And so we, we have to straighten some things out. I believe we have to straighten some things out we're really going to live the way God has for us to live. One of the things we have to straighten out in our lives is this idea of why we do the things we do. We do the things we do in response to God. We do the things we do out of obedience. We do the things we do because of what He's done for us. We love God why? Because He first loved us. We're responding to His love. Never mix that up you didn't love God first and then he started loving you. He loved you because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he loved you and then you responded to that love by loving him. And so he shows you grace, he shows you mercy, he shows you forgiveness, he shows you patience, he shows you long-suffering. Well, your response is because he's already showed you that, he's already given you that, he's already bestowed that upon you and then your response to that is to bestow that upon others. And like I said, people don't always respond when we want to. Now I'm going to qualify what I'm saying only by saying this: is, and that's this: that what I'm talking about here in grace and mercy, what I'm talking about here in forgiveness, what I'm talking about here in love. Um, we have to be careful that we're not just enabling people around us just to be jerks. Okay? Now, people are jerks. They're jerks. You know, can we love them? Sure. We don't need to enable them to hurt other people. And there's a big difference and I, I pray that God to give you wisdom to see the difference between what I'm talking about and that. I pray would. It's like somebody somebody wants to become I'll give you a classic example. We can get people all the time here that need money. What do you need money for? Uh for pay the electric bill. Alright, I have Mary write you a check to check um, the national grid. Well no, you can just make it out to me. Yeah, no, I could just make it out to you. We're gonna make check out the national grid. Why? Why? Why do you think I do that? Huh? Well, not only that, most of the people that we're dealing with have a problem with substance abuse. I know that. They know that. We all know that. They have a problem <laughs> with substance abuse. So, if I'm going to hand them money so they can keep destroying their lives, or will I hand them money so they can pay the electric bill? They pay the electric bill, alright? If they want to, if they can budget well enough, to use that money to pay the electric bill and take money out of the account to save to buy booze with, good on them. They're not that drop that. Okay? <laughs> but the fact is, is that I want to help somebody. I want to love somebody. I want to be a part of giving to somebody. But I'm not going to support their habit that's destroying their life and the life of their kids. I'm not going to do it. They think, you know, people, are like, oh, we need food. All right, well, that's why we have a food pantry. We will give you food. Well, I'd rather go buy my own food. I bet you would. (laughs) I bet you would. If that's what you're really gonna buy, I don't know, but you can have food, I will give you food. We will provide you with food. And I go right down a list of things. I like that. These are kind of old classic stories, but they happen all the time. In that there's ways to love people. There's ways to care for people. There's ways that that we can show grace and mercy to people without somehow empowering them to destroy themselves. Okay, and that's the wisdom that God wants to give us Now, how to do that. Now, David, when he finds out that he was betrayed, and I'm not, and I, I don't want to in any way, shape, or form, condone what David does here. Because David has to repent of what he's about to do. But you know what's honest about this? Is that 9 out of 10 people I know that have done exactly the same thing he did. In the power. Maybe 99 out of 100. I'm not condoning what he does. I'm just saying, here's what he does. So Ziba tells him, he says, oh, well, Mephibosheth, he's, you know, you are not. You were really nice to him. I mean, you let him live. You blessed him the land. You let him sit at your table. You let him keep his servants. You basically support him. And look how he repays you. He repays you with betrayal and treachery. That's what he does. And he's just waiting to take your throne. That's what Ziba tells David. So David responds to that rashly, and I want you to hear this, it is unrighteous, unrighteous to condemn a man
2: unheard.
0: is unrighteous. To condemn somebody when you haven't heard them. And that's a lesson as a society we all need to hear in the United States of America. We all need to hear that again. All of us. We have a system of justice. Most countries do. In our particular system of justice, you are innocent. I know this might sound confusing to some of you. You are innocent in our system of justice until somebody, the state, proves you guilty. there's a presumption of innocence. And when David takes the word of one person, Ziba, one person, and condemns Mephibosheth based on that word without talking to Mephibosheth, that is an unrighteous act. And he had to repent of it. And I know he was confused, alright? I know. It was a rough time. His own son's trying to get rid of him. He's running for his life. I get it. But it doesn't make what he did right. And so he makes a rash decision. And, if you look at Ziba, here's a good question to always ask. <clears throat> when somebody's uh, trying to get you to do something or convince you something, what did they get out of it? What did they get out of it? Because this is another thing we seem to have lost in our ability, our, our critical thinking skills, is that people lie all the time. And when people say things about other people, that they have something to gain from it, they are not a credible witness. Can I just tell you that? Do you understand what I'm saying by this? They're not a credible witness. Ziba had a lot to gain here. And so he says something about Mephibosheth as someone with a lot to gain through what he said. So that makes him a non-credible witness. So you got two problems here. You got David believing a witness who's not credible and making a decision before he speaks to Methuselah. That is an unrighteous act. Whether David does it or you do it. Or I do it. That is a rash decision. Made in motion. That's not thinking. That's feeling. And you need to think it. You need to think it. So David, a no of confusion. David, getting pulled on. By a bunch of different sides. David, not knowing how from down probably. Makes the decision. And what does he do according to the passage? Anybody know? Just read it there. What does he do? What's his rash decision? He gives away all the Phibosheth's land to Ziba. Well, he didn't hear what the had to say, and he believed somebody who had a lot to gain. And so it was an unrighteous act that he takes the land, the lock of the stewardship, and gives it to his servant, Ziva. Now, Ziva appears to be really faithful, doesn't he? He's coming to David, he's like, David, uh, Man, I hate to tell you this, but uh your boyphibosheth he he's uh, he's back in Jerusalem just waiting to take over. But uh I felt like I should be faithful to you first, David. And come and tell you that this is what's going on. Right? Yeah, well he's just, He's the faithful friend of David. Well, he's really faithless. That's what he is. He's faithless. Somebody uh, look at uh, Second Samuel, Second Samuel nineteen twenty six.
1: said, My Lord the King, since I your servant am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and I will ride on it so I can go with the king. But even my servant betrayed me.
0: Alright. So here's the real story once it comes out. And this is, you know, later on. That's chapter 19. We're only in chapter 16. So it happens later on. And the real story came out that Mephibosheth wanted to go with David when he left town. When he left Jerusalem. But he couldn't walk. He's got lame feet. And so he was betrayed when it came time to sell his donkey and leave. By who? Zeba. So the problem was, is that he wanted to go, but couldn't because he was betrayed by his servant. So he was betrayed at that point by a servant, and then he was betrayed again by a servant when he spoke to David. And so that's the, the back story of why he wasn't with David, why he didn't leave town with David, was because his servant betrayed him from the very start. And of course he depended on his servant because he couldn't get around. Of course he depended on his servant because he had a disability. And this was the one that's the guy that helped him. This is the guy that made sure that he was able to do what he needed to do. Now, at the time before, David's mind was probably plotted at this time. But Ziva, now look at Ziba. He's a good study here. He's a good study. Because <laughs> he's kind just when David needed what? Kindness. Of. He's a friend just when David needed a friend, okay? And he took advantage of a moment. And whether or not a person is going to take advantage of a moment in your life or not, I can't speak to that, because I don't know. But I'll tell you who does take advantage of moments in our life, and that's the devil. And Ziva gives us some good insight into how the devil does that. How the Devil Brings Deception Our Way. Anybody ever re- read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? Okay, if you ever read that, it's a—it's really a genius kind of book that C.S. Lewis wrote. I think we have a copy or two in the library. But it just... Uh, it's C.S. Lewis is... however you want to think about it. Prophetic? Imaginary? led. However you want to see it, but it's, uh, it opens up the door behind how demons communicate and how they work. <coughs> and it has like humor in it. And so, if you've never read it, it might be a good read sometimes. Another good read to think about things in a different light would be some of uh, Frank Peretti's books where he describes some of the goings-on behind the scenes, you know, and a lot of times in modern terms, the way that he describes the situation that's going on in the physical, but then looking at the demonic and spiritual influences that are bringing that about in the spiritual realm to the point that we see it on the news or something. Kind of interesting to see that and, and understand that. And there's other people like that too. that have written books over the years uh, that open up that, that window, that open up that door a little bit, we can begin to see okay, well there's probably something more going on here than what meets the eye. But Ziva, if you think about it, I mean, is it wrong to be kind? Well, he wasn't really being kind. He was being deceptive. Is it wrong to be a friend? Well, he wasn't really being a friend. He was being deceptive. David, and think about who David is. David's a man after God's own heart. David's somebody that's really close to God. But David was fooled by him because of the circumstances that he found himself in. He needed a friend. He needed someone to be kind to him. And in, you know, in times of desperation in our life, what do I mean by desperation? I mean desperation. Stop lying about it. Desperation. Times of desperation in our life. We are more open to deception than at times where we are at peace. We just are. And what do I mean by desperation? It could be a lot of different things. It could be a lot of different things. And we, we perceive that in our life. Bad decisions are made. Bad decisions are made. The wrong people are trusted. Words that we would never believe under normal circumstances, we believe because of the desperation that we're in. And that's just how it goes. And, and when I talk to people that have been in desperate circumstances, and, and sometimes I'll even ask them, like, so so why did you believe that? Is there any explanation for it? No. 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 And, and a lot of times I'll ask that question because I want somebody to think about it, and come to that conclusion, there is no explanation because it's irrational. And we have to be careful when we're in those kind of circumstances, when we're in those kind of situations, because we are prone to irrational thoughts and decisions, like this one that David made. It was unrighteous. It was irrational. It was a rash decision that he made to take away chef land without even talking to him on the word of one guy that, that stood to gain so much from lying. But in David's mind he's thinking to himself, I mean, who decides to be a traitor? Who? I mean, it takes a special person just to decide to be a traitor. And we live in a kind of a culture that, at least in the past, Traders are well known, because it's so weird, it's just weird. Like Who's the most famous trader you can think of right now? Benedict, Benedict Arnold. <laughs> Benedict Arnold, we all know Benedict Arnold, because he's a famous trader. And there's been others over the years, but it's not something that we really ponder very often, like, oh, I mean, who decides to be a trader? Well people do. And just because it's unusual, or just because it is not something that we would consider, doesn't mean it's not something that happens. And that's what you have here. Eva he is a traitor to his master. He's a servant of Mephibosheth, and he's a traitor to him. And whether or not David thought that that was what was going to happen, or whether or not David thought that was likely, whether or not David was really considering whether or not that was something that would take place, who knows? It did happen, though. And because he didn't go back to first principles, and because he didn't make a good decision, and because he didn't use the wisdom that God had given him, and because he was being clouded by the circumstances around him, because he was under dire situation and circumstance, he made an unrighteous decision and righteously condemned the man that he didn't even talk to. You see, when we abandon what we know, when we abandon the counsel of others, when we abandon listening to the people we trust and the people around us, when we abandon the principles by which we have lived our lives, we put ourselves in the danger. And that's what he did. You think about all the decisions David made in his life—thousands, hundreds of thousands of decisions that he had to make over the course of his lifetime. Decisions that had, you know, people that people are going to live or die. Decisions that he would need to make about the guilt or innocence of people. Decisions he made on a national scale about armies, about nations, cities, whole cities of people. I mean, he made a lot of decisions in his life, a lot of decisions in his life, and so to look at him and say, "Well, you know, the, I mean, how was he supposed to know?" Well, he was supposed to know, or he should have known. That's why we have this story. It just teaches us something about living according to what we know, what we do, and who we are. David knew better. David and more experienced in this. David had been through bigger decisions as this in his life. he has been in different circumstances. He'd been in dire circumstances in his life. And he's made better decisions than this every single time he spoke. He didn't have to make this decision, but he did. Somebody look at uh, Psalm 116. Now this psalm, we will give you a little insight into David during this time A little insight into David during this time Psalm 116 It's a long psalm, uh, two verses. But if you want to, if somebody wants to read that, just go ahead. I don't think there's any big words in
1: it. <laughs> I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my Christ for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our Lord is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. And I am in great need. Be at rest once more, O my soul. The Lord has been good. For you, for you O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And in my dismay I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vow to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death. O oh Lord, truly, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O your Great
0: Praise the Lord. Okay, that's being read. Now, Considered that's written after this whole instance behind David. Uh, Meaning the uprising, he's back in Jerusalem, he's still the king, there's no civil war, and peace has been restored. Now what did you hear in that that would indicate to you that he had to reset himself? That he had to repent of what he had done here specifically, and reset itself. What did you read in Psalm 16? There's one spot there that this seems to come up.
1: I all right.
0: Right. And 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 he gives a description about his emotional condition too. Right? And, and the psalm's honest about how, what he was feeling and how he was and what was going on and, and everything that was clouded in his mind and his heart. Okay? You see it there. And then he's like, it's like I, was, I was all messed up, and so I believe all men were liars. How did he reset himself, though? Did you see him resetting himself after that? How did he do it? What was the reset? What do you see? Keeping it promises. What's that?
1: Keeping his promises. To who?
0: To God. Well, yeah, and what was, I mean, more. Even more. Like, in other words, okay, so I've told God I'm going to do this, I'm going to be this, so I'm going to fulfill that. In other words, obedience. What else?
1: He says in verse 14, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people.
0: Right. And the idea there is resetting yourself, not not basing who you are, not basing your decisions, not basing your life on the people around you, but actually allowing God to set that and then basing your life on what God says. And, and that is how we reset things. That's how we put ourselves back on track. That's how we put ourselves back into the place where God has for us and what He has for our lives. Is that we've got to return to why we do the things we do. And we do the things we do, not because of what we get from it, we do the things we do in response to what God has done for us. And you look it's like, you heard my prayer, therefore I'll serve you the rest of my days. You did this. Therefore, I'm going to do this and that. He's responding to God. He's responding, responding, responding to the whole psalm. He's responding. And so our decisions, and the way we set ourselves, the way we set our lives, the way we set ourselves moving forward, has to have more to do with, and it really does have to have more to do with, what God says, what God has for us, what God has told us, His vision for our life. It has to be settled and set on that. Rather than the situation, the circumstances, and the emotions that are going on around us. If we're setting our lives based on what's going on around us and the emotions involved in that, we will be unstable our whole life. tossed to and fro. We, we, we're not going to have any kind of footing. It just seems like we'll go from one crisis to another. And that's just how it is. We got officers something better than that. Got officers something that is more stable than that. God declares to us that we don't have to live that way. We don't. David knew better. He knew better. But he allowed all that stuff to cloud him. And he entered into a bad decision. A rash decision. An unrighteous decision. And so after he did that, he needed to reset himself. And we see in Psalm 116 how he reset himself to continue on as a man after God's own heart. Because that's who he is. And he knew that. How did he you know he was the man after God's own heart? How did he you know that? Anybody know? Because God said so, that's right. God told him that. God told him that. How do you know he's supposed to be on the throne of Israel? God told him he was going to be on the throne of Israel. Right? How do you know the generations that will come after him will be on the throne of Israel? Because God said so. God said so. One of his descendants would always be on the throne. And there's Jesus, still on the throne. So, I want to encourage you to hear a couple things tonight. I want to encourage you to set in your heart and mind why you do the things you do. Because I believe God's called you to be a person of grace, of mercy, of love, of forgiveness, of patience, long-suffering in other people's lives. But you need to set in your heart and mind why you do that. Why? It can't be for the response you get. It can't. It can't be because you want to make people happy. Nope, it can't. It can't be because you want to please people. It won't please everybody. It can't. It needs to be a response to who God is in your life. Because that doesn't change. He loves you, He cares for you. He shows mercy and grace to you, and that's not going to change.
1: And so because it
0: never changes, you've always got a solid reason to be a man or a woman of grace and of mercy and forgiveness in other people's lives. You've got a good reason. You've got a solid reason for it. Regardless of what happens around you, regardless of how people treat you, regardless of what people are doing and what they're saying in your life, you have a solid reason for so I want to encourage it toward that. And I made a, a little side, kind of jaunted over to the side here about this, but I also I want to pray, and I do pray, that God gives you wisdom on what showing love really looks like. And showing love is not about people destroying their wives. It's not, it's not love. some warped, weird, twisted way. You may have thought that was love, but it's not. And I want to pray, I do pray that you would have wisdom to see the difference between those two things. And what that expression might look like. And I really want to encourage it toward living your life in a more solid way. A more steady way. Not to be tossed to and fro by all this stuff that goes on around you. Not to be tossed to and fro by the opinions of others. Not to be tossed to and fro by what people say or they might say. Not to be tossed to and fro about worrying about what people are going to think or whatever else it is that would toss you. I don't know what it is. But to find A more stable footing in Jesus. Live according to his word. Live according to his vision. Live according to what he has for your life instead. And so I encourage you toward fighting that off and hanging on to it. Living. Last thing I'm going to say. One more thing. Be careful flattery mm-hmm. okay be careful of flattery we all love it be careful be careful okay. let's take a moment to respond that's great Heavenly oh, Father I thank you that that you're a rock thank you, God, that we can build our house on a rock. And regardless of what comes our way, we've got a solid foundation. house is going to stand. The winds come, the rain comes, flood comes, whatever, it's going to stand. And so, God, I pray that we would be careful before we build our house. And we take the time to make sure of the foundation before we put in all kinds of effort, and all kinds of time, and it's something that's just gonna fall apart. And I pray that you teach us patience and long-suffering that you've already shown us. Patience and long suffering in our own lives. Patience and long suffering in the lives of the people around us. God, I thank you that you first loved us. And now we love you. Now we can love the people around us. Your love that you poured into our hearts, into our lives. I pray a wisdom over your people about how to love people how to serve them. How to love and serve people without hurting them or giving them the tools to hurt themselves and destroy themselves. God, you know, I just ask you that we can filled with a wisdom. He said, if any of us lack wisdom, let us ask. And you'll give it. And so we ask, and receive it. Receive your wisdom in Jesus. Father, I pray that we would be drawn back to some really simple and foundational truth that you've taught us and you've taught your people. And I ask you, God, that as weird and as complicated as life gets around us, we can find rest and peace the simplicity that you put into our lives. Give you thanks, Jesus. Ask God to continue to respond to your leading, continue to respond to you guiding us, continue to respond, God, to God, your word, your solid word, your foundational word in our lives. I pray for some of us, we need a reset, a reset back toward you. thanks tonight.
2: Yes, you see, Jesus' thing. You say. Amen. 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 UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as you gather for the purpose of life in Christ. Yo, know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you uh-huh. know? We super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters... You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin, should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community, like the that. Well, So there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm, yeah. As an after of Chaplaincy of Syracuse University... You see, it continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know that's our hood. hmm So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, okay, we we homies. You know, yeah.